0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. A couple items of housekeeping before we jump into today's episode. ClimbWell has another retreat coming up, September 23rd through 26th in Rifle, Colorado. I did an episode with Blake Kaysen earlier this year about their first retreat in Veo, Utah. And by all accounts, it was a huge success and an amazing weekend of connection and mindfulness and mental coaching and climbing. And this one sounds like it's gonna be more of the same. Sounds like an amazing experience. Uh, I'm gonna be in Rifle in September. I'm not sure if I will be participating in the retreat, but I will be in the canyon and it would be really cool to meet some of you if you decide to go. If you'd like to learn more about the retreat, I put a link right there in your podcast app, as well as in the show notes where you can read about the event. And if you decide to go, you can use the promo code NUGGET10 at checkout to save 10% off your registration fee. Save close to 150 bucks just by using the promo code NUGGET10. And a huge thanks to Blake Kaysen for hooking that up. She, of course, will be one of the coaches at the retreat. Next, I've got a couple of updates about exclusive content and Patreon. I recently put out a follow-up episode with Ron Kalk. That was an amazing listener Q&A and another great conversation with Ron. And I wanted to let you guys know that I added a new tier to Patreon to support Sacred Rock, which is Ron's nonprofit organization, which he started with Katie Lambert. Their mission is to get kids out into nature. These are mostly incarcerated and foster kids, low-income families, etc and they're really transforming lives one person at a time by exposing these kids to nature and an education through nature. If you want to help out, you can go to Patreon and look for Tier 4. You can pledge $15 per month, and I will be donating half of it each month to Sacred Rock. You will get all of the Nugget Climbing Patreon perks for a little bit of a discount and it's a great way to support the podcast as well as another amazing organization so i highly encourage you guys to check that out and of course there's a link to patreon right there in your podcast app and at thenuggetclimbing.com i have a new follow-up with drew mack coming this week that was a super fun conversation drew has been on fire this year sending a lot of hard routes And he's changed some of his methods since the last time we talked in our first episode. So be sure to look out for that follow-up. I'll put out a free teaser to give you a feel for it later this week. And the full version will be available for patrons the very same day. And of course, it's $5 per month to sign up to get access for follow-ups. Okay, thank you for listening to all of that. And on to today's episode. My guest today is Hazel Finley. Hazel is a professional climber and mental training coach from the UK. Hazel is known for her many bold ascents of dangerous and difficult trad routes in the UK. She's gone on to free climb multiple routes on El Cap. She's climbed 514B Sport in Spain, and she recently climbed her first 514C with her ascent of Magic Line in Yosemite Valley. We talked about that one quite a bit and some of Hazel's mental training she did for that route in this interview. Like I said, Hazel also does a lot of mental training and coaching with clients all around the world, including elite rock climbers, normal people, musicians, you name it. She's worked with a lot of people and we've really dug into some of the patterns she's observed and some of the advice that is most relevant for you guys and for me and for all of us. I thought it was super good. I had a lot of takeaways from this conversation. Hazel also hosts her own podcast along with Mina over at the curious climber podcast. So if you want to hear more from Hazel after this interview, I highly recommend it and you can find it everywhere. Podcasts are found. All right. I hope you enjoy this one. I got a lot out of it myself, and I hope you find it helpful as well. Please enjoy this deep dive into the mind with Hazel Finley. I find it so interesting... Uh, talking with people in different time zones like this, like you're in the UK, you're halfway across the world. And I don't know what it is, but there's just something so curious and delightful and interesting to think that, you know, you are at the end of your day, you've experienced your whole day and how different a mindset you must be in just because of that, just because of what time you perceive it to be versus me on the other side of the world, I'm just starting my day and kind of easing into things. And yet here we are talking at the same time. I find that really interesting.
1: Yeah, I do as well actually. And it's one of the first things I think of when I start a Zoom call with someone is like, where are they and what time of the day is it for them? Um, Where are you and what time of the day is it for you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am in Washington state in the United States, which is Northwest. Uh, So Pacific time zone, and it is 11 o'clock in the morning. I just had a lazy breakfast and was checking in on my notes for this conversation and still kind of getting things started. Yeah. And it's evening where you are?
1: Yeah, it's 7 p.m. Are you back home? I am in North Wales. Yeah.
0: Okay. Is that where you grew up?
1: I actually spent part of my childhood here, but we, we moved around a lot. When i grew up so i never really had like one place hmm. um yeah
0: and how long has this been home for you now
1: so i bought a house here in wales uh two years ago now okay. but i kind of knew the area anyway It's it's sort of like you know in the states you know climbing areas and then you know if you were to move there it's like somewhere you've been on trips to previously kind of thing so uh, yeah, I've got friends here and I knew the area. So it wasn't like moving to a whole
0: new place. Okay. And what is your lifestyle like these days? How much are you traveling? I mean, you you have your hands in so many things. You're a professional climber. You're still climbing at an incredibly high level. You do a lot of coaching now. You do talks around the world. You go on cool, adventurous trips and things like that. What is your What is your lifestyle like these days? Are you more fixed in place or still traveling all the time? Obviously there's COVID too, so <laughs> Yeah.
1: Uh well I'm also doing a masters at the moment. That's oh, like one really? kind of the biggest change. Yeah, I'm doing a part time masters.
0: What is your master's in?
1: Uh so it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's the course is called the psychology and neuroscience of mental health. Mm. So it's all about mental health through through the lens of psychology and neuroscience. Yeah. Um so yeah, my lifestyle, yeah, it's been really different ever since COVID hit my course is actually all distance. So, you know, I could be doing it from say right now if I wanted to be, um, which would be nice. <laughs> I mean, it's it's nice here too, you know, I love where I live. But yeah, this is the least I've traveled since I've been an adult, basically. Um, and I think, I guess, what people maybe might not be so aware of in the States is sort of, how covid and brexit hit the uk at the same time Hmm. which has meant that if we were still part of the eu i could probably go on trips to the eu now but since it's not since we're kind of out the eu now i don't know why i did that because we are literally out of the eu now (laughs) um no one picked that up on the podcast podcast that was
0: yeah zoom air quotes for people listening yeah
1: yeah. Um, so, yeah, like this is the most stuck I've been to the island of the UK since ever. Yeah. So it's, it's it's been interesting. I've honestly like not minded it. I've just thought, oh, cool. Well, there's loads of cool stuff to do around here. That's what I'll just focus on you know, when we can travel again, I will travel. It's not like <laughs> I won't make the most of that freedom, but you know, it's 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 fine to be around here. I have a nice house that I live in and there's a nice area and there's climbing objectives that I wanna do here. So um, yeah, it's, it's been fine.
0: I was curious, I was gonna ask that if you felt uh, antsy or if it's felt restful, if it's been a good recharge or if you, yeah, can't wait to just get back on the road.
1: I think at first, it was a really nice recharge. 2019, prior to moving into this house. So like, yeah, the, most of 29 up to June, I was just on back-to-back trips. It was like, and then and the end of 2018 as well, it was like back-to-back trips. So it was like really crazy travel period. And I was pr- really craving being at home or finding a home and having a base and then went to Spain when COVID hit, basically, in the van in Spain. It was the end of our trip and it was just the craziest experience being in Europe in this van and every, you know, we'd be in this van spot out the way, not seeing anyone, but every time we would go to town, the situation would just be like weirder and weirder. And we had this ferry booked and we kept expecting it to get canceled. And it just so happened that it was the last ferry back from spain because you can get a ferry from spain the north coast of spain to the south coast of england and it was the last one that ran and we were like locked in these cabins on the boat and we couldn't leave them and it was like there was no window and it was like something from black mirror um (laughs) and yeah and then basically uh Yeah. So since then, I mean, to be fair, I did actually go on two climbing trips last year. I went Mm. to France for a month and I went to Greece. So I really can't complain. (laughs) I still actually managed to travel. Um, But that's like the least traveling I've ever done still.
0: Mm. Yeah. And we're just getting into summer. You and I are talking on June 21st. So we just passed the summer solstice. Is summer a good time where you live uh, conditions wise? Are you having to change the style of climbing that you're doing, getting up into the mountains or what, what kind of things do you do during the summer where you live?
1: Yeah, so it's it's really not like most of the states in the sense that it never really gets crazy hot here, you know, like really it kind of maxes out at like 30 degrees C, which is like, What's that
0: in fahrenheit i want to say mid-90s but i'm going to look it up real quick
1: it's 86
0: 86 86. okay yeah that's not as hot as i would have thought yeah that's that's reasonable that's reasonable
1: yeah and so like at the moment it's like 17 degrees or something which is like
0: 60s Mm. that's that's great so we
1: really just it's the, it's the wet and the rain that mm. that we suffer from any time of the year. Like people say to me like, you know, when's the best time to come to Wales? And I'm just like, I don't know. You could come in November and have just like the best time on really crisp, nice conditions, bouldering or like single pitch climbing, or it could be torrential rain. And you could say that about almost any month of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously don't wanna come in the dead of winter but even in like July, August, it could just be torrential rain. So I guess the Pacific Northwest is a bit like that as well, right?
0: It is. I was just thinking of that. I, I spent a lot of time on the west side of the state here in Bellingham where I went to college. And it's kind of a sim- similar thing where there's a lot of climbing that I actually would like to go back to now that I've gotten better and improved. Uh, old routes that I've always wanted to do that I would date daydream about when i was kind of a newer sport climber but there's no great time to go back and the key is kind of to live there and be able to capitalize on those random good days but yeah there's no clear season it's tricky
1: totally yeah um yeah so it's 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 like that here um but you know we live in sort of an interesting place because i'm really not far from the coast but I also lived sort of in the mountains. And when I say mountains, they're not like real mountains, you know, they're like little small ones, but we call them the mountains, even though they're like hills. But basically there's some limestone sport climbing on the coast and often it will be raining in the hills and you can go to the coast and climb. So
2: Hmm.
1: yeah, most days you can still climb if you really want to. That's what's nice about this particular area is there's these little weather systems. You can kind of escape one weather system. But yeah, some, some weeks that I've been here, not many, I've been like, oh crap, I'm living in like a shit place for climbing <laughs> this weather. <laughs> it's not, you know, most of the time I don't think that, but you know, the odd week when it has just been torrential rain for like three days in a row and you're like, okay, this is a bit crap.
0: And where are you at with gym climbing these days? Do you have, do you have open gyms as far as the COVID situation goes, or do you have a home wall? Do you enjoy so climbing inside? Wall. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of do actually. It's it's one of those things where I really don't want to do it often, but when I do it, I enjoy it. And I quite like the board that I have in my loft. I have a moon board and then a, like a splatter board with mostly wooden holds on. And in the winter, we were here like January, February, March, which is like three months of the year that I would never usually choose to be here, but obviously COVID was here. And I really enjoyed climbing on the board. Um, the gyms are open now in the UK. I've been like five times to the gym since it's been open. It's been open about a month, or a little bit longer maybe. And we have pretty good gyms here actually. Um, we have, yeah, we have a root gym, has bouldering and then we also have a a boulder only gym so but you know I'm not sort of interested in going three four times a week Mm. that's not me I'm not psyched to do that it's like a novelty experience to go and be like yeah I got so pumped on these roots," (laughs) and then be like okay I'm probably good for a bit now that's kind of like my gym scene I suppose
0: (laughs) got it yeah (laughs) Well, Hazel, it's really good to have you on here. I have, uh, I have a lot of questions from listeners. Actually, I, I was kind of laughing to myself. I, I basically have outsourced this entire interview. <laughs> I got so many good okay. questions from listeners, and they covered all the things that I wanted to ask you about anyway. So, um, I want to jump into those sooner rather than later. But I, I do want to kick things off. I mean, you know, the bulk of this conversation will likely be around mindset and this mindfulness coaching that you do, but um, I kind of have two questions leading into that. and the first one is just kind of looking at your life in a bigger picture. I'd love to hear what um, what the balance is. like what kind of energy are you putting into your climbing objectives these days versus uh, spending more of your time coaching? Now you have a podcast, you're also in school. What kind of things are you drawing? Uh, the most meaning from at this point in your life and is it a combination of all those things are you becoming more interested in you know in coaching versus climbing and uh and what do you find yourself spending a lot of your time doing these days how do you stay on top of it all
1: yeah yeah i mean i ask myself the same question sometimes (laughs) um you know I, I, i do struggle a little bit i But I am someone who likes to have different projects on the go, I would say, you know, I think I think it's sort of like, like a dynamic kind of organic list of priorities that's always jostling and moving around. Right. So like, you know, I'm doing these modules with my masters and there are six weeks and there's certain weeks of that module where I've got to, like, hand in a piece of writing or I've got to do an exam or something. So, like, during those those t- those times, you know, the, the masters might jostle up towards the top of the priority list. And then once I've w- done that, it's like, okay, switch off from that for a little bit. Keep it ticking over. Um, but now I'll, like, focus a bit more on climbing, something like that. But really climbing is still at the top of the priority list. It kind of always is in a way. But I do get very interested in other things and the coaching is one of them. And, and there's also different elements of the coaching that I might get interested in. So I might, for example, suddenly become very motivated to just like work on the business side of the coaching, which is something that I, I struggle with. Um, But for reasons you might not suspect. But, or I might really... Like I might say, okay, I'm going to like rewrite my full full practice like information sheets or I'm going to like put loads of energy into like uh, replanning the next workshop I'm going to do because I didn't like quite like how it went last time. So I'm actually going to like come up with a different approach, you know, so I'll, I'll just become motivated and into different things at different times. But I, I generally in my life like to have more going on. So like in my early 20s, I mostly just climbed. It was like a proper full-time climber. And I I got down, honestly. I got a bit mm. depressed. I felt like a part of myself wasn't being engaged. Um, Mostly intellectual part, probably. Um, and then also just like there's something about climbing that's kind of selfish you know like you do it with other people but you don't do it for them and you're kind of concerned about your own endeavors and so what's interesting though is is it wasn't coming from a place of selflessness the reason I wanted to coach it was in a way selfish I mean we could go into the depths of you know is there a selfish act and what all the rest of it but it was in a way for myself because if we become too self-involved it's not good for our mental health You know, and I think that when you get really obsessed in climbing, you can get very self-involved and you can only see your own problems and you can't see others in a way that you can if you're not self-involved. So, uh, you know, I like to be doing stuff that kind of involves others, I guess. Mm. Um, And so that's why I started doing the coaching.
0: Before we got on the call here, I was looking at your website and reading your bio. And I wanna ask about one line that caught my attention. And, and this is you know, you talking about your coaching and a section about how your interest in psychology led to uh, becoming a coach so that you could help others with their mindset and their m- mental management. And I'm gonna read just one short line from your bio and then ask a question about it. And your bio says, Hazel specializes in helping people overcome fears and limitations so they can focus on the task at hand, perform at their best, and enjoy climbing more than ever. Hazel has worked with people from all walks of life, including competitive athletes, new climbers, business clients, musicians, and artists. And that last bit really was intriguing to me. How How did, um, what am I trying to ask here? I'd love to hear who you're working with and. My background goes back to music prior to climbing. I was a musician before a climber. And so I would love to hear who you've worked with uh, musically and, and how you got involved with that. And maybe it'd be fun to dig into some of the parallels there, you know, between musicians or artists and climbers. You know, we exist in in a bubble, but of course, we're all humans and we're all dealing with the same stuff. So I'd, I'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, so... So I, I I am trained as a life coach, so I, I have that training and that was obviously not specific to working with athletes. And when I had to, you know, pass the, the tests for getting that qualification, you know, you need a certain amount of hours and you need to have a recording of you giving a life coaching session that kind of thing. And so I worked with a lot of people who weren't climbers, so you know, that's my skill base. So the the coaching in general, you don't necessarily like coach around a th- specific thing. It can really be about anything. Because coaching is mostly about asking people questions and kind of helping them explore different ways of thinking and kind of helping them work out what they want, where they want to get to and how to get there. And most of the content and the ideas of how to do that come from them. I would say one thing that's a bit different is the fear of falling stuff I do with people. That's very much me teaching people a skill. Mm. Uh, It's not really life coaching. Um, But it's quite interesting. Like all the stuff that I learned around performance psychology, it was just, just so transferable to anything, right? It's all the same principles. Like, You don't need to see a sports psychologist who knows how to climb. You know, it might help, but the same principles apply if they were were teaching a footballer versus a climber or whatever. And they apply outside of sport in general. So I guess that's just saying something towards kind of like the diversity of people you can work with if you're a coach. Uh, And then, you know, as for music, I mean, so I was working... I've mostly just worked with one musician, I would say, properly. I've I've had a few that we've worked a little bit, but uh, one musician probably. I don't work with him anymore. Um, But we we probably did, I don't know, 20 sessions or something. I don't know. Uh, He's a bass player. And so, you know, getting on stage and being your best in that moment and how to think about that when you're off stage, to help you to cultivate a mindset, which means you can turn it on in the moments that where you need to turn it on. That's exactly the same as walking up to a trad route that you can't fall off and having to be in the moment focused on what you're doing. It's the same if you turn up to a business meeting and you have to, on the spot, you know, come across well, you know, and get the job. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's all quite similar in a way, you know, it's, it's human psychology and human psychology trying to trip us up
0: when mm-hmm. it matters
1: most and how to manage that.
0: I'm wondering how to ask this without, you know, uh, having to go through 20 sessions to <laughs> to get there. I mean, this stuff, there's so much to unpack here, but. I'm really curious with that. Like, are there any kind of like really common fundamentals that you come across time and time again, or or just basics that you could share with the people listening? You know, whether it's a musician or someone applying for a job or or trying to execute a business proposition or something like that, or someone preparing for a a difficult climb or a climb where they really want to perform at their best or a competition, whatever it is, are there basic things that you find yourself repeating over and over, whether that's, you know, a fundamental question you ask people to start with, anything like that come to mind?
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing that, that I'll always run into, no matter where the coaching starts, like at some point, I'll just run into someone's ego. It's the ego that gets in our way. So fear of failure, like, becoming addicted to achievement, wanting the outcome and prioritizing the outcome more than the process, being distracted by the goal and not focusing on the process, getting too much performance anxiety before the moment that it matters, having a negative experience at any point along the line from the start of the process to the end, It usually ends up being an ego issue. And when I say ego, I don't mean, oh, in these people who are egotistical, I mean, every single person has an ego and that manifests itself differently in different people. But most people who come to me with a problem that they wanna work on in the coaching, it's usually in some way related to their ego whether it's any of the things I've listed there.
0: That's great. That's a really great answer. Would you be willing to share a few examples of how that manifests itself in clients, things you work on?
1: Making comparisons all the time is mm. something that I might work on with a with a client. So it doesn't matter what level of climbing they're at. And I think this is one of the the misconceptions people have. People people think that only the elite get performance anxiety. Only the elite get fear of failure. You know, only the elite have become, you know, distracted by external motivators and that kind of thing. It's total bollocks. I wouldn't say that the elite are more vulnerable to this. I think that mm-hmm. anyone in any stage of their climbing could be vulnerable to to these kinds of things. But how it might manifest, yeah, so, so, so spending just a lot of time making very negative comparisons um, is, is one way it could manifest itself. Another way is is just always orientating your climbing towards outcomes um, and, like, being overly fixated on outcomes is something that I see a lot. Um, which then hinders the process. So, um, it, it becomes kind of complex, but you know, it's, it's almost like I, s- I probably see it more than others because there's a bit of a bias where people come to the coaching because they want to see results. They want to get results. They've got problems uh, they want solutions. But sometimes it's that that's the problem, right? It's this, <laughs> it's the, it's the, that they're too attached to the end that's causing them to be so negative and distracted and angry when they got on the rock. And so it's quite difficult because sometimes the main reason why someone shows up in the, in the coaching situation is actually the, the thing that we need to work on and to kind of loosen that attachment a little bit and be like okay well you know what does this mean to you is it is it worth more than your well-being how can you still achieve this goal but do it so that you 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 know you have this mindset that you're proud of from the start of the process to the end of it so so yeah there's there's a few examples and then i guess just like as some people as well, it's quite basic, like fear of failure can sometimes just mean that people never even challenge themselves to the right level, right? Mm. They're always operating below their limit. And that's where fear of falling and fear of failure can like interact in this really nasty way. Um, And it just keeps people like never trying hard, basically, Mm. Uh, which obviously just stunts your, your progression massively.
0: Thank you for all that. I want to ask a, a listener question here, and this is from Tyler. He ha- he actually has a few, and I think uh, this feels like the right time. The first thing is Tyler writes: I'd be interested to hear Hazel's thoughts on trends she's observed from mental training. Uh, has she seen patterns in the type of people who seek it out? And based on what you're saying, I'm wondering if more Type A personalities come to you, or if it's all over the place. Do you notice? Patterns with personality types or different. Um, he asked about employment types. Is it a certain type of um, the, the way people think or anything like that that you've noticed?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure actually. I think, you know, maybe the only, the, the, the main, you know, element of someone's personality will be that they're interested in some kind of improvement, I would, I would say is like a, is a, is a big predictor of whether someone's going to be there or not. And, but that can mean anything from someone's interested in personal development. So, you know, someone might come to me and say, I want to actually like try and find ways of becoming a better person through climbing, you know, like I'm interested in like flow state and uh, mindfulness, and I want to have more of those those feelings on the rock, and I want to learn how climbing can can improve those areas in, in my life and and create more meaningful experiences. So it could be like that. It could also be I want to climb this grade in the gym next month. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it could also be some people come to me because they're like at the end of their tether with fear of falling. I get that a lot. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm just not enjoying climbing anymore and I need to do something about it. Please help me. So, yeah. Uh, But, you know, in terms of like demographics, not really. I don't, I can't really find anything. I, I I coach people from all walks of life and that's actually one of the things that's so fun about it. You know, Mm. like I can be, coaching someone from Singapore or, you know, like random countries and, you know, coaching someone living in Lebanon, you know, and so it's, it's, um, it's cool for that reason. And I I have to like not get carried away and like ask people too much, just out of my own curiosity, I have to like focus
2: on the coaching.
0: (laughs) The podcast host comes out in the middle of your coaching calls. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> Tyler also yeah. wants to know, have you noticed any differences between men and women as far as strategies for improving mental mental space?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um you know, I think anything you ever say about genders is always, you know, it's always just a huge generalization, right? And you can always find someone that betrays or is an exception to the to the generalization. But I think when it comes to fear of falling, I would say that there's a little bit of a pattern whereby women are more ready to accept and admit that they're fear of, they have fear of falling. Mm. But in a weird way, that makes them less likely to get over it in some cases. So men will be more resistant to admitting that they have fear of falling, but they'll also feel more of a social pressure to not have it which will kind of like force them through to some extent. They'll like maybe get on with it a bit more. Whereas like women are more happy to say, oh no, I'm scared. So maybe you can take the ropes or I'm scared. Like they're maybe slightly more likely to be like, have a bit of a more fixed mindset around it. Because as soon as you kind of like vocalize and verbalize and say, I'm a scared person, I have fear of falling, then it's easy to fit that mold all the time Mm. um but it means that in general it's easier to work work with women because they're more honest about the fear that they have whereas working with men they they can try to hide it more and it's harder to work with people when they're hiding it right (laughs) because you can see someone stressed and they're saying oh no i wasn't stressed like this is in my comfort zone and it's like I have seen enough people fall off to know when people are stressed or not. So that can be a bit difficult. So that's sort of like a bit of a trend that I've noticed. But other than that, maybe not. Like, I think the whole kind of like being overly achievement orientated is kind of just as much likely to happen to both genders.
0: Yeah. Got it. Yeah that's all incredibly interesting. Um, he he has one more question and I, I really like this one and it kind of ties in here. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that, uh, he's asking this for himself, but who knows? He writes, what advice could she give to someone who's climbing partner and or relationship partner may be working on their mental space for climbing? Uh, and he writes, obviously it's much trickier with relationship partners, but do you have any advice for someone who's in that supportive role, you know, their partner's really working on some part of their mental game.
1: Yeah, this is really important actually, especially with fear of falling. So with fear of falling, you really ha- like, to do the exposure therapy right, uh, so just kind of like incrementally upping the exposure to increasingly more stressful falls. So that's like the basis of the practice. You really have to get, um the challenge level, right? So like some people think that, oh, if you just go and take a few massive whippers, it will like cure you if you're of your <laughs> falling. Cause like you survived, right? So uh, but it's not really not how the brain works. Like if you fall and you're like hyper-stressed and every muscle in your body is tense and you close your eyes and you scream, all you're telling your brain is that like, that was like a very aversive experience. And your brain has a very good memory for aversive experiences. So you really don't want to be having stressful falls. You really need to be making those falls relaxing, which means you have to do it very incrementally. And you have to really take a moment to kind of like use some relaxation exercises before you fall and that kind of thing. So the problem that happens when you bring a partner into the mix is that, If that partner doesn't understand uh, fear of falling because they don't have fear of falling or they at least don't understand the level that someone could be suffering with fear of falling is they'll try to encourage. And often the way you encourage someone is to say, go for it, go on, you can go higher, go on, one more fall, you know, and, you know, it's safe, I've got you, you know, all of these things. But if that person's not ready to take that fall, just because you can see that it's a safe fall, uh, doesn't mean that, that it's appropriate for them. Hmm. So one thing that I would say, you know, is you really have to let the person decide for themselves what's appropriate for them or not. And really be careful about how you encourage that person because encouragement can come, it can be interpreted as kind of pressure sometimes. Um, and then it can just really lead someone to take some backward steps if they end up doing something that they're not ready for. Um, so, yeah, just like, for example, like when I coach and I do these fear of falling workshops, I never tell anyone to go high, higher. I never say, oh, you should take this fall. It's like, how did you feel? What would you like to do next? You know, given the principles of the fall practice. So, those are the sorts of questions that you could be using. Like, how do you feel? What would you like to do now? You know, that kind of thing, instead of like, just like being really gung-ho about it. Mm. Uh, that's probably the main thing. And then, you know, just be supportive. And I would also say it's like really beneficial for people with um, mental training problems and issues to have a diverse array of climbing partners. and Don't just climb with your like, life partner boyfriend girlfriend um because you can really fall into kind of roles with like a main climbing partner and that can easily end up being like I'm the scaredy cat person and then sometimes you go with like say this is like a a male female partnership and then maybe you if you're the girl you go out with a girl mate and all of a sudden like maybe she's similar level to you or like not as strong as you mentally, physically, then all of a sudden it feels empowering, you Mm. know, and actually you're the brave one and you're putting the quick draws in for her and actually you can take a few falls, you know? So I think that, yeah, just mixing it up partner wise is a, is a good tip too.
0: Well, those are great. That's, that's incredibly helpful. Um, it makes me want to ask, do you have a, do you have a resource, on this topic in particular, because we could do a whole podcast on this and I don't want to leave people hanging here, uh, but I also want to ask a ton of other questions. So have you done an episode on your own podcast or on other podcasts that's a deep dive into this topic in particular?
1: Fear of falling in particular or mental training in general?
0: Uh, fear of falling in particular.
1: Um, not, uh, not really. So there's one that I did on our podcast with Mina, that's, that's all about mental training and there is stuff on fear of falling in that. And then the one I've done with Arno Ilna as well mm. is quite good for mental training and stuff. They're not specific for fear of falling, but there is, there is useful
2: stuff
0: there. Okay, okay, I'll link to those for people. Uh, this is a question from Kellen. Kellen wants to know, I would love to ask Hazel about what issue she sees long time and experienced climbers most uh, frequently needing to work with as far as their mental game. You know, I think the classics about self-belief and fear of falling are really common for relatively new climbers, but I wonder if those dynamics change as people get more comfortable in the sport.
1: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know quite a lot of elite climbers who have fear of falling as well. So I don't think that it's, that it necessarily goes away. I think you're doing pretty well to become an elite climber with fear of falling, but people work around it. You know, I've seen people Mm. essentially headpoint sport routes at crags like Oleana. You know, they stick clip their way up the entire thing. They work every single move on a top rope. And then when they come to send, they might get scared and not do it when they could do it, but they eventually do it. You know, so there's definitely ways of just kind of, Working round it, but it's it's better to get over it for sure. <laughs> Especially if you want to do any kind of on-site climbing. But yeah, okay, how things change. Mm, I I like I do think that there's probably less differences than you'd than you'd imagine. Honestly, mm. I think sort of the whole ego-based stuff, fear of failure, fear of what other people think, self-worth issues. All that stuff, you know, percolates through all the levels of climbing. Yeah.
2: Mm.
1: I don't see like huge trends to say otherwise.
0: That's really cool. That's very humanizing um, as far as thinking about our all our heroes goes. So that's a cool <laughs> insight. Um, this is a question that relates to the ego. This is from Will. And I thought this one was... Uh, was really an interesting question. So he writes, I'd love to ask Hazel in regards to her mental coaching, how a climber can find a balance between confidence in one's abilities versus cockiness. I often wonder what sort of approach I should take on my projecting based on grades of boulders I'm attempting. For example, when I try a project at my limit, I don't know whether I should try to be overly confident or if I should take a more conservative approach and temper my confidence. Do you have thoughts on that?
1: Ah, oh, you know, it's difficult for me to to answer honestly, you know. Uh if if someone came to me and that was like the opener of a coaching call, it would take the hour to <laughs> to work it out, right? You mm. know, I'd have to ask him more questions, you know. In, in what ways is it is it hindering you or has it hindered you in the past to be overly confident, you know? You know, in what, in what ways has it helped you? You know, everyone's different with this stuff. So but there's no like hard and fast rule there at all. Um, I think, you know, just slightly separate from the question, but just in terms of like the mindset you should have in, with regard to like, will I do the route or will I don't tie? There's, I think there's definitely like a little bit of a cultural difference there, like, I think of Americans as being like, yeah, I'm gonna send it, you know? And like, that's like this positive thing and it kind of helps them. But like, as a British person, you know, you would only really say that as a joke, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just not really like in our nature to be like that. Um, But in terms of kind of like your mindset and what you think you're thinking and feeling versus what you're saying, you know, I personally w- with that kind of thing, like to have the mindset of no expectations,
0: mm-hmm. and that's
1: what's fun. So it's not like people will say sometimes like if you, if you say to yourself, "I don't know if I'll send this route," they're like, "Oh, don't be so negative. It's not negative if you consider that to be something good. you know like so if you turn the question on on its head, you know how boring would climbing be if you knew every time you get to the top of something. Be so boring, right? Like so much of kind of like the sense of like, like the tension in climbing comes from the unknown of whether we'll get to the top or not. So why not kind of like take that as this like fun, exciting thing, and say, you know what, I I don't know if I'm going to do this, but I'm going to give everything, you know, Mm. and like that's the beauty of it. So. For me, you know, you don't need to be overly confident or underconfident with regard to how you feel when you walk to the base of a room and you put your shoes on. You can just have no expectations. You know, there's that middle way of just going, I don't know. And that's cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder how individual that is, but I can very strongly relate to to how you're describing that. And I've really tried on the positive mindset thing in the past. Like, today's the day. I'm, like, I'm going to make this happen now. I know I can do this. And I just have seen, and I've really gotten myself to believe that. And I've seen no correlation whatsoever with that mindset and my performance. And a couple of my hardest roots were just like, you know, this is just one more try. This is another try. And I have no idea, but I'm going to try my best. That's all I can do. You know, that sort of, uh, like you said, just setting expectations aside. That's really positive for me. But I th- I think I've met people and know people who just, I don't know, they just kind of swagger up to the route and they tie in and, and they're just bubbling with confidence and they make it happen. And it's amazing to me.
1: Totally, yeah. I think that is a personality thing going on there. But, you know, the the total opposite is true as well. You know, how many, how many like, Crazy hard sends, do we know of when the person rocks up the crag? The conditions are shit. It's their last day. They're too super tired, and they actually expect to fail. And that's when they climb their best. Mm. You know, this I know. I almost every climber I know has a story of that. <laughs> so you would say, in that sense, then that they had a negative mindset. They expected not to do it. But so, but pressure is you have know, some people thriving pressure and some people, the pressure gets to them and they don't perform as well. And if they take the pressure off by telling themselves, oh, it's a bad day for conditions or I'm tired today, um, then they send, you know, so it's very individual, uh, but you can work on it either way, right? Um, you can shift it if you wanted to, if you if you don't want to wait for every bad condition stay to send your project, you know, you can work <laughs> on it. <laughs>
0: Um, That might be a really good lead-in. One of the things I have on my list that I wanted to ask you about is Magic Line. Was that your experience on Magic Line, what you just described? No. No? No,
1: it wasn't. No. No, I totally knew I could do it and wanted to do it.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. It wasn't like I'd given up. And, and um, you know, I I knew there was a chance I wouldn't do it for sure. Um, But... I come close, you know, I, had done the low crux a bunch of times and, um, yeah, I just, I just knew I could do it. So I didn't have that pressure off. There was this high pressure because also <laughs> the, th- the thing is as well is like, it's got that really low, hard crux, And so once you're through that, you know, you've done the hardest climbing. So you should be able to get to the top but obviously there's that final last boulder and you've got a little foot ledge before that final last oh, boulder. Oh man. <laughs> so you're just there <laughs> and you're stood and you're just like, there's only so many times I can get through that first boulder. And it's like the most balancing, tenuous climbing. Like you have to climb it well. You can't just pull your way through that, right? You have to like have your hips like, a millimeter, if your your hips are a millimeter out, you're off, you know, that kind of thing. And so, no, the pressure was totally on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took like all my like mental strength to not fuck it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, okay, this is perfect. I want to deep dive into this, but um, before we do, we should probably add some context. So I talked about magic line with Ron Kalk. if people have listened to that episode. And it was the hardest pitch in Yosemite for a long time. It's, you know, 14C if you I, I think that's the consensus grade if you are placing gear. And it's just this beautiful, very technical crack climb that's kind of like an offset laybacky thing uh in Yosemite. Can you describe the route a little bit more as far as the low crux and um the high crux and, and what you were just talking about?
1: Yeah, so it's funny because some of the pictures make it look like it's a finger crack or something. Uh, and I think yeah, there's a few little jams in there, but uh, the crux is like, uh, so you like, some of it's like one pad, some of it's like two pad, but it's, so it's like, it's, it's an offset crack that's like one or two pad thick, which you, know, you think is quite a big edge, right? But obviously it's not a downward pulling hold. And you also have like almost no feet to offset it, you know? So the footholds are like minuscule anyway. We had so much issues with the (laughs) footholds. We (laughs) broke most of them as
0: well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or we broke two of them, or maybe three. (laughs) Who's we? Uh, So me and my friend Maddie were trying it. Um, And she she could do it for sure. Uh, She had a bit of a shorter trip than me. But I don't, I don't know if she'll be psyched to go back. I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, so it's, like a, it's sort of like a bold, just like technical layback start. And then the crux is like, I don't know, like three meters or something. And it's like the most crazy technical moves ever. Like, you know, we, did, we sat on a rope for like a month working out those moves. It's It's, it's the, that's my hardest boulder problem. That bit of the route. Wow! I haven't bouldered harder than that.
0: What would you? you know? Can Can you put a V grade to it? Do you have a guess?
1: Probably V ten. I okay. don't know. Yeah, but like a V ten where.
0: With the hardest style imaginable.
1: Yeah, it's like. You can't get, like, some gym climber on it, you know. Like, maybe you can these days, actually, because they do kind of do a lot of technical shit in the gym these days, don't they? But, um, yeah, it's just so technical. Um, but it's also powerful, too. It's not like a slab. It's, it's slightly overhanging, and, like, you know, you need to have strong fingers and, and, and be strong on it, too. You can't just, like, dance your way up it. But uh yeah, so then so then you do that boulder and you can reach up and you place like two ball nuts or sliders, however you want to say it. And then you like do that whole boulder and you can't place any gear in that time. So it's a little bit scary. Like when you come to place the next piece, like you, you might be close to the ground if you fell. And then it's like some easy, like not easy, like 12 plus probably <laughs> like thin crack or layback. Depending, we actually like kind of crack climbed it more um which I think is like way more secure than everyone else was like laybacking the whole thing whereas we were like sort of in the crack with like pinky jams basically because it like it's so tiny so like having small fingers maybe helps with that part but it's it's not really the meat of the root and then you basically get to a little foot red ledge where you can totally rest like you can totally recover but then you have like i don't know like 8 meters of like more of like the same tenuous layback on shit feet and then it's just like turns slightly and it's like the most like complicated foot sequence ever to get this thing right and that's probably like v9 that part wow yeah
0: okay so i want to dive into your mindset and where you try to go when you're resting on that ledge like what do you you know you have it in the back of your head like okay i got through the boulder again i can only do that so many times here i am here's my chance you know or i have to make this happen what do you do are you trying to bring your mind to a specific place are you trying to breathe a certain way can you talk us through that
1: yeah. So I'm either just, I'm either basically trying to meditate.
2: Mm. So
1: like, I'm either like looking at the rock um, and like really looking at the rock or like looking, there's a waterfall there. So like looking across to that, looking at the trees or I'm like focusing on my breathing and like actually like connecting to the sensations of breathing and trying to get my breathing rate down if I feel like I'm too adrenalized. Um, I can't remember now. I, I, at first I would definitely be trying to get my my heart rate down and my breath down and being trying to relax. But then right before I go, I'm probably, you know, I don't wanna be like super relaxed. You wanna be like a little bit adrenalized, you know? But you probably are anyway, to be fair. So I was probably mostly just like doing relaxing breathing. And then sort of like, what I would be telling myself if I was telling myself anything at all. Like one thing I do, do remember saying a lot was just like, be with each move, you know, mm. be with each move. So as soon as you say like, this is my chance, I can't fall. What's going to happen if I fall now? I've got to fly home tomorrow. What, how much of a bummer is it going to be if I fall? Like, I'll really regret this if I don't climb my best right now. You know, as soon as you start telling yourself stuff like that, not only is it negatively oriented, it's also like your attention is no longer present. And to climb well, we need to have our attention to be present. It has to be with every move. You know, he's it, got to be like, you want all of the like, men, your mental resources, everything in your nervous system to be orientated to that one task. You know, so you don't want to be imagining anything else when you're climbing, mm. you know? You can't read a book and also be imagining what you did yesterday. So how can you be expected to climb and also be imagining what you might be doing tomorrow or yesterday, right? Or like what might happen if you fall? You can't, you can't do something as complicated as climbing whilst also thinking about something else. And as soon as we start thinking about will I, won't I with really thinking about something else, So like, yeah, like just be with each move basically is kind of like, and it's, it's, if you really kind of embody the sentiment of that as well, so much of your anxiety goes away because as soon as you're with each move in each move, you're still on the rock. You know, if you're really with each move, you don't need to be anxious because what you're anxious about hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? So... Mm -hmm. That's kind of, yeah,
0: that's what I do. Very cool. (laughs) (laughs) I reached out to, uh, I reached out to Yasna Hadjic before this conversation and Yasna has been on the show and she's a friend of mine and you have actually come up multiple times in my conversations with her. I've, I've traveled and climbed with her a bit in this last year. Uh, We met up in Rifle and climbed together a little bit and I don't know how you came up or why we were talking about this, but she mentioned you and Magic Line multiple times just from the perspective of like, I don't think that most people appreciate how badass this ascent was, how significant it was. And uh, I reached out to her and have this message from her that I want to read. And then she had some questions for you about the route and about the aftermath of it. Okay, so this is from Yasna. She writes, I was lucky enough to get to witness part of Hazel's progression on Magic Line in Yosemite Valley. In my opinion, her achievement is likely one of the most underrated accomplishments by anyone in climbing for the last decade, for sure. I mean, do the math. It had been sent by two people before, and only one had placed the gear on the go. Both of the cows needed multiple years to do it. Beth and Tommy got close, but still. The climb is absolutely mythical. Legendary then hazel tries it for 15 minutes one year and decides to train for it and do it she shows up and i was there just hanging out and then observing her trying it and as i'm sure it would be for everyone it looked like it was going to be really hard for her i even remember being mildly surprised that she was still trying it when she showed me her rugged looking swollen finger one day late in the season i remember thinking to myself well damn that's a road bump And then she did it on her last try on the last day, before a season-ending storm came. That story had some poetry to it. I can't imagine she thought the outcome would turn out as it did. I kept expecting some major announcement or something, but it never came. Yeah, there was an article and an interview and blah blah, but nothing big, at least that I could tell. I doubt it really mattered to her, but I found it disappointing in a way that the climbing community didn't recognize what had just happened. I also found it really cool that she didn't seem to push it much. It was just her climbing a route she wanted to do that clearly meant a lot to her, like we all try to do when we can. So she had some questions for you. The first one, what was it about Magic Line that caught your attention? Um, Were you infatuated immediately? Was it the difficulty or the aesthetics? Had any route inspired you in a similar way before that one?
1: Yeah, so... I guess if you like hang out in the valley enough, you hear this name, Magic Line, Magic Line, <laughs> and like I'd be like, "Oh, where's this fruit, Magic Line?" And people would be like, "Oh, it's in, you know, it's in the in the woods up towards Half Dome." Like, it's heinous. It's heinous though. Like only Ron Cowes done it. Yes, you know, before Lonnie did it. You know, so you you just hear all these, like, rumors in the valley about this, like, mythical single pitch. And it would stick in my mind a bit because no one really talks about single pitch routes in the valley. You know, obviously, you've got El Cap there. You know, even something like Cosmic Debris, like, you know, people do it, but it's like they do it because they're, like, tired from big walling or something, right? You know, it's a classic (laughs) route, but, like, you know, it doesn't have this kind of, like, mythical status that Magic Line had. Oh, has, sorry. And I think because it's a bit of a walk up, up to the base as well, it probably gets tried a bit less. So I sort of had it in my head. But that was like this cool, mythical, like crazy hard route. Uh, and then just one day, like um, Carlo was psyched to try it. And I was like, cool, yeah, I'll come.
0: Carlo Traversi.
1: Yeah. And... There was, it it turns out like Lonnie was at the crag as well. And there was like a bunch of people who wanted to try the route that day. So I literally had like 10 minutes on the crux and I couldn't do any of the moves, (laughs) but I was like, this is cool. Like to break down the movement on this route, like that would be a cool thing to do. But then I didn't really think about it. And then I got injured. Like right after that, I went Mm. to Bishop and had this like horrible um, pulley injury Um, But it was sort of like my dissatisfaction with the rehabbing of that injury and like feeling like, oh, you know, I feel like I'm not getting like super meaningful experiences out of my climbing or I haven't had a super meaningful experience in a while. And I was in Mongolia with my friend Maddy, who that's the what the recent Real Rock film is about. And... I was just feeling a bit dissatisfied, and I was just chatting to her, and I was like, "Maddie, what if we just trained for the rest of the summer and went and tried Magic Line?" And she was like, "Yeah, maybe we should do that." So I like, I I've never trained for anything before, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. I sort of trained for this route called Mind Control in Oliana, but it was more of like a after my shoulder rehab, getting back to where I was, rather than actually making gains. You know. But I did actually have a training plan for that. Um, But so apart from that, it's like the only thing I've ever like trained for. And like, I got Dave Mason to make me a training program. And it was all like with magic line in mind, you know, it wasn't like, oh, just get stronger. Um, And I like properly like dedicated myself to it. Even when it was sunny outside, I like went to the climbing gyms before I had the board and like properly dedicated myself. Yeah, that's the story
2: of how it (laughs) happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She has a couple more questions. Did you do anything to prepare in the event of failure? And if so, what did that look like?
1: Well, you know, I really didn't know that I could do the route. You know, I trained for it. But I was expecting it to be a multi season project. Mm. that was my my expectation, and I was ready for that actually since Covid has happened. I'm really psyched I did it that that year, right? because I wouldn't have been able to go back until this fall. So you know, I'm super psyched that I did it in a season now because I would have forgotten everything and just like you know be trading all again and all this. but um. Uh, you know, I was, I was going there like expecting to fail that season. So, but you know, when it became apparent that I probably could do it if I really tried hard, I mean, it was difficult. It was, it was quite, it was very psychologically difficult and I was getting these finger problems and thumb problems because of this like constant talking of the edge of the, the, the offset bit of the crap. Mm, mm -hmm. So like and I remember ringing a physio friend of mine and he was basically told me not to keep climbing on it and wow. that was the most devastating day that was so hard that was worse than like being you know to have fallen off in a way because in my mind it, it obviously turned out to not be like that but in my mind that was like the worst outcome was to, to not actually be able to try it to the bitter end you know yeah. Um. Uh but yeah, so I wasn't really prepared for failure, but I did do a lot of mental training prior to going on the trip and all of my mental training revolved around having my prior- priority be about keeping my head. So it's like, you know, the goal in a way of doing the route was secondary to the mental training goal of keeping my mindset keeping my head how I wanted it to be, Um, enjoying the process, being engaged in the process and being like a better person by the end of it. That was like my overarching goal. So all of my mental training work prior to that was working on that. And, you know, it sounds like that makes me sound really zen and like really mentally strong. But this was like, because it's not been like that in the past, I've had projects where I have not kept my cool the whole way through, you know, uh, where I've become negative, where I've wanted to just have it over and done with, where I want to finish it off, where I'm angry at the root for not being easier than I wanted it to be, you know, all of that kind of resistance to the challenge you've set for yourself. So basically, like I, I kind of learned from those experiences. and. So my overarching goal was to go, okay, I wanna climb the hardest thing I've ever climbed and I wanna keep my head on my shoulders throughout the whole process. Mm. And that's why it was such a cool thing because I think I did mostly succeed in that, yeah.
0: That's great, that is such a cool goal. I really like that, I I wanna try that.
1: Yeah, you should. And you know what, like you'll probably climb better too. Mm. Because if you keep your head, and you, you might you know you'll probably achieve your goal sooner because if you if you keep your head and you you know it's 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 part of a bigger thing which is around like developing you as a person and 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 it, like the whole process you're just going to be better off at the end of it because you've worked on your mindset and you've trained your body as well you know this is the thing we do it for for from a physical perspective we say okay i want to climb this route And if I climb that route, I'm going to have to get stronger fingers and I'm going to have to get fitter. And so that will bump me up a level. But we don't do that with our brains. You know, we don't say, you know, I'm going to train for this route because the process of a hard uh, red point is going to make me stronger mentally. We never say that. And I don't know why we should be saying that, I think. (laughs)
0: What does a daily practice of that look like, or a weekly practice? Is that as simple as meditation and practicing being mindful and present? Or are there, are there other elements to that?
1: Yeah, I think um, so. I, I did some coaching, you know, uh, work with a coach. Uh, like a mental training coach, performance coach. So some of it will be just, you know, those conversations and conversations with myself, which could be in the form of like diary writing or journaling, you call it. Um, So, you know, kind of just like really setting intentions. These are the intentions for this whole process these are the intentions for this part of the process. Like being really clear about where you want to be mentally as well as physically at that point of the process.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, meditation and sort of like visualizing, you know, how you might visualize a project, you might also visualize how you want to feel. So kind of, you know, visualizing like, I want to turn up to the root of feeling like this you know i want to have those first few exploratory sessions feeling like this you know uh, but the bulk of it came you know the bulk of the mental training was really when i was at, in the valley like but but i would say i was prepping before that as well to be fair yeah and because you know it's easy in a way because you know say you say you're training for a route you're thinking about it all the time anyway mm. right because You know every time you go to the gym you're like oh you know are my fingers strong enough for this route you know how do i make my fingers stronger and then so why not also think you know how am i mentally with this route how am i mentally with this part of the process um you know how resistant am i right now to to doing this fingerboarding um So it's, yeah, it's like, it's really tricky with mindset stuff. You know, like people want there to be like really kind of prescriptive things that you do Mm. and there are those things, but then some of it's really just like, it's making subtle changes in your behavior and how you talk to yourself, really. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I want to ask you about the, the one element a magic line that um, Yasna was really talking about, which is like the media and how that got put out or or just the lack of attention and media around it. Was that on your radar? Did you notice that? Did you feel disappointed by that? Um, You know, I I find it so interesting these days just how, how almost arbitrary it seems, like what stories we latch onto as a climbing community and which ones get highlighted. So often, you know, if it doesn't have a big number attached to it, it's really hard for the average climber to to understand the significance of a climb like Magic Line. It's like, okay, a 14C, like, great. But it's a very different 14C. It's a very, very significant 14C. It's so much more than that number. Did you feel that at all, I guess, after your ascent?
2: Um.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, a little bit, but I didn't really care. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I mean, if, you know, if I was like a new up and coming professional climber and I wasn't getting paid for what I do and all the rest of it, then I'd be pretty bummed because I would, I'd feel like, you know, that would be difficult for my career, you Mm -hmm. know, so like from a career perspective, um, you know, these are sense they need to be known about for sponsors to for that to be beneficial to sponsors right you know there's no point climbing hard unless you've got stories to tell about it basically um so but you know it, it really wasn't about that for me that route and in some ways it kind of keeps a kind of purity to it almost you know the fact that it was really like it, it was really like my own thing in a way like I shared it with Maddie for a lot of it but then she wasn't there when I did it and it was like sort of like really down to me and and, the, and there was no like real other pressures you know the pressure was only what I was putting on myself but you know the the main reason why I didn't get talked about more okay there's a few reasons one is that there's no film of The Ascent
2: hmm. if
1: it, you know nowadays like unless you have like a film all about something then people don't care or know about it or whatever the other thing is that one of the main reasons why there is no film about the ascent is because there's a film about lonnie's ascent Mm. and lonnie's ascent and lonnie's story is just so much cooler than my story (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like some brandish brandon british girl his like heritage is the the valley right you know, and so I'm I'm okay with that, right? Like, if someone's got a cooler story than you, like, obviously make the film about the one with the cooler story. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> that you know, Real Rock could have maybe like, they might have made put a nod to it. You know, like they might have done like one social media tip. post about it, or like, you know, how sometimes they put at the end of the film like, oh, since since. This film has been made, another person has climbed this route. Like, they do that, don't they? Like, I remember the one about Margot Hayes. It turned out that Angie Aita has actually climbed harder than her since that film came out. So mm. they put that at the end, right? Because otherwise, people watching that film thinks that she's, like, the only world's best female sport climber, right? But, you know, I totally get why they didn't, too. Like, you don't want to detract from someone's cool story by putting at the end that someone else has done the route. So, you know, I get it. I totally get it. And I don't really mind at all. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) 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 There you
2: go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to bounce around a a little bit with these final questions. I want to get to two more and... um... There's more that we're not going to get to, but I I did kind of promise these people via email that I'd get to them, and I think they're good questions. So uh, this one is from Jen, and I think it's Jen's first time submitting a question. So thank you, Jen, for writing. And this goes back to your shoulder injury that you briefly mentioned. It sounds like Jen's going through something similar, and she writes, I remember hearing that Hazel had shoulder surgery a few years ago and that she had a hard time recovering from that injury and from that surgery. I'd love to know what ended up helping the most with recovery in the end. And does she have any sage advice that she would pass on to others recovering from a bicep tendinosis and rotator cuff injury? And then she goes, ha ha, obviously me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, was it Emma? Did you say? Uh, Jen. Jen, so there you go. (laughs) Uh, sorry, Jen, to hear about your injuries. Injuries always suck. There's just no escaping that. Uh, yeah, I mean, weirdly, like, so it's a bit of a long story with the whole shoulder thing, and 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 actually, what I learned from it is so important, and more people should know and understand what I had to know and understand in order to recover. But it's so difficult to talk about that people, um, people just don't get it. So I've like given up trying to communicate it. But basically,
0: I'm so intrigued.
1: Yeah. So I had this really long term shoulder injury for like, seven years or something that would just be like, totally up and down all the time. And uh, culminated in a labrum tear operation. Um, I did the rehab from that, recovered, um, even, but like had pain throughout the whole thing. Pain, 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 still pain. Even when I knew that my shoulder was strong and I was trying HC on a steep Spanish sport route, I still had shoulder pain, still worried uh, that there's something wrong with it. Constantly massaging, constantly physioing all the rehab still, all the strengthening, you know, the story. Um, Weirdly, a Spanish friend of mine uh, had neck problem for like 10 years and he sorted it out by seeing a pain specialist who dealt it with chronic pain and he recommended that I uh, go and see this guy. And he also told me like all the concepts around chronic pain and kind of it taught me a bit about chronic chronic pain and how it works. And I went to see this guy because my boyfriend at the time also had some pain issues with his shoulder. But I went to see him, but I didn't even need to. Within two weeks, my pain had gone away. And it sounds like really crazy. But basically, like it just goes to show how little and we how much we underestimate the nervous system and the connection between the body and the nervous system and the brain. But basically, like, if you've had pain in an area of your body for longer than like four months, you're really vulnerable to getting chronic pain. And so chronic pain differs quite a lot from acute pain. Like if you get stabbed in the leg, your brain, so, okay, this is a key thing to understand about pain as well is that you, it it doesn't correlate with tissue damage really okay it does a bit but not it's not a one-to-one correlation your brain decides whether it should tell you that it's in pain or not so if you when pain becomes chronic is when basically it's like all of the circuitry around a bit of your body is like It's oversensitized. It's like a faulty alarm system on a car. So that like if you were to just like touch the car gently, the alarm system would go off. And so because it's like in pain for so long, it's like your brain has now just decided that that's like this vulnerable area of your body and that like if you go climbing with it ever, it's gonna hurt, right? And I would constantly, and the pain would come down my arm, right? And this is how I knew it was chronic pain because my elbow wasn't injured. You know, it was up here that there was the site of the injury. Like, why is now my elbow hurt? And why does my neck hurt up here? And why does my back hurt down there, you know? And so I was constantly, someone who would be like this all the time massaging the different bits of my body. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna pretend that it's my other side.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is fascinating.
1: Yeah, I started massaging and looking at my other arm. And like thinking that my other arm was the injured arm.
0: No way.
1: <laughs> and it like basically went away almost instantly.
0: Oh, And I just climbed wow. like normal.
1: And I just climbed like I didn't have an injury and it stopped hurting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that That is fascinating. And I totally believe you. I completely believe you. And I actually, <laughs> uh, for people that are listening to this that haven't heard it, I did an episode with this guy named Heath Jennings. Um, he's a physical physical therapist and he's basically a, a pain expert. He's been studying pain and chronic pain for 20 years. Uh, and we did a whole episode about this. And he talked oh, nice. about like mirror therapy where you hold a mirror in mm-hmm. front of yourself. So it, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind blowing stuff. <laughs> That's crazy, but uh, okay. So getting back to Jen's question, um,
2: it's probably was, not going to help,
1: Jen. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jen. yeah,
0: I know. Was, was your uh, <laughs> was your experience with surgery like in general? Was it positive? Did it deal with the injury? Would you recommend it?
1: Now that I know so much about chronic pain, I don't think I needed the surgery. I think I could have managed the shoulder mm. because my shoulder still functioned. You know, I still had strength in it. So if you could manage the pain, then. But you know, I did have clunking and things like that. So you know, maybe overall, the with well, the operation has been beneficial, but. I, I would have loved to have the, you know, the alternative universe where I didn't get the operation because it, it wiped me out for so long. Like mm. there was two whole years really where I didn't really climb anything I was psyched on, wow you know? So, um, but I, I'm getting better at this, but in my youth, I just really didn't look after myself very well. I was like dirt bag climber. didn't want to spend much money. Like think things are just going to work out all the time. Like, Never really got scans, I got one scan. They said it was all right. You know, I went to see one physio. They said it wasn't this, you know, I got lots of mixed messages. I mean, I did pay to go and see lots of people a lot, but they never really told me to get in the operation and, and that it was that serious. They always just sort of said, oh, you know, you'll probably get better with these exercises and that kind of thing. So yeah, I could have invested more, I suppose, in, in the, the early days of the injury. Um, but, you know, as for Jen, you know, I guess like you could take a lesson from that chronic pain thing and just be, you know, watch out for it. Like if it's a long-term injury, it could happen to you for sure. So just be aware of that. And somewhat related to that, it's just like really focus on strengthening. Like Mm. you've got to get those, those muscles strong again. Um, and those tendons strong, like just, yeah, like obviously do it carefully, but like, just don't give up on the strengthening. Like you've got to be in it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. yeah, I'll I'll add for Jen as well. If you haven't listened to it, check out that episode with Heath. I think it's episode sixty seven, and he we talked about pain, but he also shared some of his experience with um, rehabbing, you know, tendonitis, tendonitis, tendinosis, stuff like that and uh he shared some exercises for the elbow on the instagram channel on the you know at the nugget climbing so those things might help as well but good luck jen we hope that you uh we hope that you recover (laughs) injuries suck they always suck this is a question from anna marie and this is a fun one she writes i'm a huge hazel finley fan so i'm very much looking forward to this (laughs) podcast my question what has been the most memorable route you've climbed and or the most memorable day of climbing?
1: Probably Magic Line, I'd say. It's a bit annoying that it's like my my favorite route is my hardest route, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's always bad, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, I know.
0: I totally get know, that. You know, the more
1: you put in, the more you get out, you know? Mm. That's the thing. Every route I've done on El Cap has also been super memorable. Mm. I just, yeah, I mean, being on that wall is just just a thing on its own really and then when you pile in loads of high quality climbing on top then it's just like yeah it's the best
0: and you've free climbed what four of them now yeah that's amazing yeah do you have another one picked out
1: yeah, that's the thing I'm running out of the easy ones now <laughs> and annoyingly like the only like easy and this is where I'm actually using the <laughs> yeah, podcast quotes.
0: air quotes for people yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah um the only easy one would be El Corazon unfortunately my boyfriend's already done El Corazon so uh yeah I don't know I kind of would love to do it in a day at some point mm. uh, like free rider or something just Cap in a day free El Cap in a day that would be cool but but like, it's it's um, it's very difficult to train for that in the UK, um, <laughs> and it's very right. time-consuming training for it too. And I don't have a lot of time these days, so mm. I don't know. We'll see if that happens.
0: I'm gonna add. I'm yeah. gonna ask my own extension to Anna Marie's question. Can you think of just like a most fun climbing trip you've ever been on? Do any come to mind? Just a really super fun trip.
1: Yeah, the last one I went on. What was and it? I went to, I went to Greece. And um, I'll probably get sick for this because, like, you shouldn't be traveling in COVID time. Um, but we went in the van and we drove to the south of France. And it was right when, like, Europe was getting that second wave, like, right before. And we were like, oh, shit, we're in the south of France. And south of France is locking down. And France was really strict last time should we go home or should we like go to Greece? Because we know that in Greece they were like pretty chill about it, right? Like everything closed, we could still go climbing. Um, so we were like, fuck it, and drove to Greece. And if we, if you know the geography, it's like, it's really far. Like from North Wales to Greece, is really far. <laughs> <laughs> and we took a bunch of ferries and stuff. And it was kind of stressful. But then we got there and everyone was so welcoming they loved tourists they really wanted you there they really wanted to buy stuff from them they love climbers they they absolutely want more climbers to come uh, everyone's like uh, there's a bunch of people in vans some people in airbnbs the climbing's really fun like, we were in Leonidio, and there wasn't really anything like there's a few hard routes, but like nothing like, not tons of project options. So, we were just like on sighting everything or like doing it a second, third try or whatever. And everyone was in such good spirits. There was like this real <laughs> sense of like, we've escaped somewhere colder. Mm. And the odds were against us escaping. You know, you have, like, people from <laughs> Germany, like, oh, my friend's back in Germany. And, like, lots of people were, like, on furlough as well. Uh, do you have the phrase furlough in the States? Do you have
0: Um we, we usually don't use it, but we know what it means.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so, like, everyone's on furlough, so they're getting paid to, like, be in Greece climbing. Everyone's just so cordial, you know, they're, like like keeping the distance, you know, trying to be careful about COVID, but not being like crazy either, you know, and it was just the best trip. And like the food was great. It's sunny, olive oil. Like, (laughs) yeah, it was just, it was so fun. It was like my most favorite trip, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Where, where are you most (laughs) excited to go once things open up, you know, knock on wood, assuming that things continue to open up?
1: Um, I think we'll probably do a trip to the States in the autumn.
0: Back to the valley? Um,
1: yeah, for some of it. Yeah. I'd like to go to Indian Creek. My, my boyfriend hasn't been to Indian Creek, so that'd be cool to go there with him. Like every track climber should spend like a month in Indian Creek at some point in their lives. Uh, and like Zion, I've not done moonlight buttress yet, so I'd Mm. love to do that. Um, and yeah, just, just kind of appreciate being able to travel, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Awesome. And what um, what do you want to share with people? I know you're doing a podcast, the Curious Climber podcast. Um, you're, you guys are doing a great job with that. Um, in your coaching, are you taking clients right now? What Where can people learn more about you and connect with you?
1: Yeah, um, you can sign up for my mailing list on my website because um, anything like coaching related that I do comes through that mailing list. Um. And then, like, my Instagram, you can see stuff, too. I'm not really taking any more one-to-one clients right now. But I'm trying to find ways of uh, scaling some of the content, um, which I probably won't do anytime soon, like, not this year, probably. But at some point, I'm going to scale the content of, of, the, of the coaching because I'm not reaching enough people, I don't think, one-to-one. Um so, yeah, just keep an eye out for something like that, I guess, if you're interested in, in this kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah.
0: This is my closing yeah. question. What is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately?
1: Oh, too many things, I think. I'm always grateful when I'm not injured.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a so big one. That. It's big.
1: But I guess it's not been on my mind too recently, which means that I should probably think about it more because otherwise I'll get injured. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know what, I'm really quite grateful for my house, honestly. Um, That's great. Yeah, it sounds like weird, a material object, but um, it's been quite nice having a proper base and having somewhere where you feel like you can rest and recover and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah I'm quite grateful to have a home.
0: All right. Well, I'm grateful for this conversation. Thank you, Hazel. Yeah, there's thank you. There's a lot, it's of, been there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Yeah. Nice. I'm excited to share Glad this one. I enjoyed it. Okay.
1: Cool.
2: Thanks. Cool. Thanks. Like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like go we do it, like we do it.